Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? I tell you what, I've got my hands full with the chat room today. They seem to be very excited to be here. I don't know why, but they are. I think we've got a great show lined up. We asked people on Twitter how they would spice up F1, and a lot of those tweets coincided with a lot of news stories. Uh, plus, we'll have uh, Alex Van Jean. Uh, Uh, attacking Alonso, I think, and Chris Stevens possibly defending. And of course, we'll catch up with all the important F1 news. But now that we have dates for F1, the whole kind of F1 Twitter sphere, Facebook groups, all the podcasts, everyone is now gearing up for the season. And it's a very different tone. Yeah, well, I mean, what are we talking? Three, three and a half weeks away at this point. And there will be actual Formula One racing. And it's it. we've finally gotten close enough that it stopped being a thing that will happen when it happens and is starting to look like it tentatively actually is going to go ahead thing. I I, I don't know if anybody else felt that way about it, but I was always like, it's off in the future. It's off in the future. Anything can happen. (laughs) Anything can happen. And then you look at a calendar one day and you're like, oh, that's actually close enough. It might really happen. Well, it's close enough that I was looking ahead in our little spreadsheet of what the topics of our shows are going to be. And I ran out of, of slots to put our topics into so we now have uh shows planned that we're going to put on the back burner because f1 has inconsiderately started putting races on i know i I mean it's going to kind of ruin our flow here we'll have to talk (laughs) about things that hamilton did and we'll have to talk about things that oh you know grosjean did no doubt you you get the drift we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first. We're also joined by a couple of experty type guys 
PR and media man, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. We've had uh, a lot of esports stuff on uh, to fill the void with uh, with F1 and motorsport stuff on, but I officially don't have to work on that anymore, and I can look full steam ahead to real racing's return. And presumably your clients will probably be more enthusiastic about your work. I'm imagining, no need to name names, that there's going to be the odd client who's been like, oh, esports, oh, whatever, whereas now they're very much thumbing through their Rolodex and looking for Chris Stevens to do some PR magic. There's been a mixed reaction to the esports thing for sure. I think it largely depends on how good you are at it. Um, you know, we <laughs> yes. it's very clear to see just because you're a fantastic racing driver does not mean you'll be good at sim racing. Uh, so the fact that real racing is now just around the corner, I think a lot of people are very happy about that. Yeah, and we're also joined by our race analyst, uh, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? It's going really well. It's nice to be back. I actually can't remember the last time I was on Missed Apex. Uh, yeah, I didn't um, want to say. Yeah, I've no. done. I've done the last show. I've done the um, Remain Indoor shows a couple of times, but um, I'm happy to be back and oh, get uh, some beef for slagging off Alonso later. Oh, the Remain Indoors podcast available in the UK at two PM on live streams and available around the world at the relevant time zones on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Still going ahead. Thanks for that plug. Yes, you are going to be making the case against kindly sage Fernando Alonso. Spends his time going around teaching kids how to go karting, uh, giving us great entertainment, uh, two, two-time world champion, jewel in the crown of, of F1, uh, loved and adored around the world. You're going to sit here and tell us why he's rubbish. Yeah, that, that quiet, meek guy who doesn't say much or, or cause much controversy at all. That'll be a fun segment. But before we do that, we've got some big, dirty news. Big, dirty news. Quite a lot of news, actually. Now, we asked you guys on Twitter what you would do to spice up F1, and we got like 50 really good replies. So we've picked our favourite ones, and not necessarily the ones we agree with, the ones that have made uh, the best talking points, you know, or the ones that have just amused us. And they have fit in with a lot of the other news items that Matt has found today. But the main one, I guess it fits in with, Matt, is is the Braun suggestions that the second race might have a few problems uh, remaining interesting and relevant. And I think it was Braun himself, wasn't it, who muted the idea of perhaps having a reverse grid race uh, in the second races. But reverse grid aside, what was that? What was his issue with the second race or, or the second if they run back-to-backs at the same track? Well, I think the issue was, uh, well, first of all, it was Mercedes and Toto Wolf who put the knife in the back of running a reverse grid second race. And the reason that they're concerned with the second races is because the TV companies are concerned with the second races. And they're concerned because it's the same cars at the same track. The same result would be possibly even more boring than Monaco there. I said it once we get past qualifying, because I still say Monaco qualifying is super exciting, but whatever. Uh, so he put forward an idea and I immediately seized upon it and knew it had to be the main topic of our show because it involved tires. And his idea is to change the compound, the tire compound selections for the second race in order to keep it from being in order to keep it from being a carbon copy of the first race, which is the, the problem they're trying to solve. And then the, the related problem is if you don't change anything is you're going to have a lot of teams doing very little or no running on the second Friday because they already have all the data they need 
for that track. So it's sort of a double a double problem that he was trying to solve there. And his suggestion was to change the tire compounds for the second race. And I think we got a lot of interesting replies uh, that might also help from our listeners. So the idea that teams won't run on a second Friday, to me, it just doesn't make sense. That's free running they're going to get. And they've had no running since testing. They're going to take that time. My thing about the having two races at the same track is that there are loads of different championships, albeit slightly more competitive ones, but plenty of championships who have uh, multiple races in uh, a weekend with no difference Mm. in the format. And they are all fantastic races, usually. Okay, that's slightly different, I think, because uh, they still have their testing and their prep and their qualifying. And then if they have like a doubleheader on the same day, Uh, it's kind of expected that, yes, you're not going to do any testing before the second race. But when you have two F1 weekends in their entirety and you get to the next weekend and you go, okay, Friday testing, time to do the shakedown. Well, we we don't need a shakedown. We we kind of know. We know it's running well. We know it's here. We've got all the core data. All we really need is, is Saturday practice. You can always learn more by being on the track. If you give an F1 team a day on a track, they will take it. I mean, they're always complaining about how the fact that they don't have enough in-season testing and just having a free session is, is going to be great for them. Because the thing is, the whole thing about wanting second Friday running is because let's say you have a good, you have a bad race the first weekend and you don't know why you had a bad race. You're desperate to actually get back there, figure out what the problem was, fix those problems, and then hopefully perform better in the final race. You know, you might get a race where, Ferraris are leading and all of a sudden one of them breaks down uh, that hopefully won't happen the following weekend so you get a more competitive weekend so you will still get differences and people will improve and let's not you know forget the fact that there's going to be varying weather um, week to week as well especially in the UK at the moment I don't know if, if how many of our uh, listeners are actually in the UK but it's gone from being scorching hot to pouring down with rain in the space of three days so imagine if that happens between the Grand Prix weekends, that's already going to spice things up. The yeah. track being constantly used and used and used, that's going to change the setup. The cars are going to handle and perform differently. They're going to vary from team to team. There are still many different ways that these second races can be interesting. I've often found that championships that host a test uh, before a, uh, a particular race weekend, they usually have the best race weekends for those events. Okay, so I, th- I think I'm, I'm a little bit against you guys at the moment. So uh, let's have Azir's comment on Twitter, at Azir Syed, who said, remove practice sessions altogether and make it harder for teams to get a good setup. In fact, he didn't say altogether. He just said remove practice sessions. Um, make it harder for the teams to get a good setup for the car. Could make the racing more interesting with trickier cars to drive and replace the practice sessions with extra F2 or quali races. And I suppose you could replace that with, you know, a uh, robo race or, or whatever floats your boat. Uh, however, I, I do have some sympathy with Azir's point there. As it happens, I do like the whole spectacle of Friday running, Saturday, you know, three big practice sessions. Maybe it could be one less to make it a little bit harder. Uh, but, you know, from what I've seen, for example, with our iRacing sessions, is that when we had less practice, when we had less practice, the... Uh, yes, I see your hands, gentlemen. I see your hands. We're good. Uh, I, when we had less practice, the, the races were very chaotic and people were spinning off. And we weren't actually seeing a racing spectacle. We were playing a a game of survival and who could survive. As we've dialed in the practices, we get more conventional racing as people are staying on. 
But F1 has the opposite problem to us. They have the problem where they have very highly honed teams and drivers who, over the course of three practice sessions and a qualifying session, can dial that car in. Uh, and you see when, when drivers miss a, a practice session, they really feel the pinch of it. They say, oh, my God, no, I, I missed that practice session. That's really bad. So when we get to Sunday, we have quite a sterile experience, Chris, because they are so honed in. And so there's less chance for an error generation. I do think that when you get to that second weekend, I don't think the things you've said are enough. I don't think a change of tyre compounds is going to be enough to throw them because they know how to change tyre compounds. It'll change the strategy a bit. I don't think a change of track conditions, unless it's chucking it down with rain, is going to change much. They're not going to de-rubber the track in between the sessions. They're not going to go back to a green track. You can't just pray for a monsoon uh, to come in between the sessions to make the track green again. I don't think it's enough. I think this is a real danger, Chris. Uh, Then we'll go Alex and Matt. Yeah, so the call to reduce practice has been around for a while and one I'm totally on board with. And it also makes sense in this coming out of a pandemic-ish reality that we're in. I mean, IndyCar at the weekend, for example, has condensed the weekend to, I think, just a day where they have practice qualifying in the race all on uh, one day or maybe over two days. So actually trying to reduce the weekend makes sense for now. So I'm totally on board with that. Mr. Van Jean. Um, Try and sell less TV time for cars to sponsors. Oh. If, you're doing, if you're doing a lot less running, who, what sponsor is going to spend X amount of million pound per year um, when they only get to see their cars uh, during the race? And if you're a lower end team, you don't really want to go and see yourself at the back of the grid because you're not going to get seen as much, but you get seen more during practice. Trumpets. Yeah, I I tend to agree with Alex. Let's face it, we're not going to have tickets being sold to these Grand Prix. The only thing we've got going for us, if we get to 15 races, is getting the full amount of TV money. And if you shut down practices on either weekend, the TV has even less stuff to use to sell its advertising with. So I don't, as, as much as I like the idea of reducing the amount of time the teams get to get the setup right, because we can think back to races where weather conditions were vastly different or where we did not have a good Friday practice, the races were always more interesting and there were more errors because the teams had to guess more Mm. than when they got the running. I'm not going to disagree with that as in principle, but in reality, what Formula One needs more than anything is to run enough races to get the benefit, the cash benefits of their full TV contract. And they are not going to go for fewer hours of TV at this stage because they're already missing out on at least what six races we're guessing at this point and that's if they can get it all the way to 15 that said i will technically pick a nit with you about the tire compounds okay okay so, so hang on so my and, okay yeah. gone well my, my point there was that it was not going to make it too much of a difference so well this is the glorious genius of it for the top teams it might make just enough difference if i'm ferrari and I run better on softer tires. A second weekend with softer tires might benefit me. Counter? I am. Yeah. yeah it, well, my counterpoint to that is I, I appreciate that it might change the shape of the race and it might change the strategy and it might change who is ultimately better. But it doesn't change the fact that those teams are really super honed in. So the, the point of the practice sessions isn't really the ultimate pace. It's the, the fact that they're running consistently. They, they've, they've ironed out all their, uh, all their niggles, all their little technical niggles, and the drivers are really in the zone. A, a driver, a top F1 driver, 
or, or any F1 driver is going to drive just as consistently uh, after three days of practice on one compound or another compound of tyre. It might affect where he is on the grid and how many stops he has to make, but fundamentally it's not going to change the fact that they've, they've got an awful lot of running and data already. It, it just means, oh, Ferrari ran better on the medium, so they're going to do better in the second weekend than the first. That doesn't, doesn't do a lot for me. Seeing Mercedes chasing down a Ferrari for the win instead of Ferrari gradually losing time to Hamilton doesn't change how exciting it is to watch. I mean, I know okay. you might be a Mercedes fan, but... <laughs> oh, and, I'm neutral. I'm neutral. How dare you? I think what's also being overlooked here is the changes in the midfield will probably be a lot larger and will definitely spice up the kind of action that we might see um, especially if you have a top team that does particularly poorly with the tire and you have a top of the midfield team that does particularly well with the tire. And that could benefit your boy Sergio Perez a lot <laughs> on a softer tire where he can get an extra stint out of it and drop a whole pit stop compared to a lot of other drivers uh, in the field. Oh, okay, I'm in. That's all you had to say. Why didn't you just lead with that? Stop being so difficult. I tell you who's, who's hardly ever difficult is our live chat room. Thank you so much, Quinn. Mike, Brad, uh, Evans, James, Mark. There's about five different Jameses in there. Goost, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You can go to Missed Apex podcast on YouTube uh, and you can join us in the live chat there and you can chat along uh, with us and you can laugh at my COVID hair. You haven't seen the worst of it, guys. I will post on Instagram the horror show that I just shared with Chris Stevens. Unless, Chris, do you think that would be bad for my reputation as a human if I posted the full horror of my, my... uh, straggly hair. Um, as your uh, official media manager, uh, Spanners, I could <laughs> not. Uh, I could. I could maybe recommend you put that on your Instagram story as oh. a uh, as a joke, but uh, nothing that will stick. Okay, it's that bad. Jeez. Woo. So the chat room has gotten in on this. Okay. Um, and uh, Beth Griffith suggests that second race let the wives and girlfriends drive. That would certainly okay. probably spice it up a bit. Okay. Um, Brad Newmeyer says second race could be done with articulated lorries, spanners to Mercedes. So we could oh, see you. Uh, now that would be good if I was good at driving articulated trucks. I, however, was appalling. Chris. It's a good comment from Peter Moore. Um, is it a sport or a show? And yeah. this is why I'm quite glad that the reverse grids idea did not come in. Ooh, I've talked segue. on the show before. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked on the show before about how. Uh, Formula One needs to balance the entertainment and the sporting side of things. And to to me, reverse grids is where it crosses the line of of being too much like entertainment and not enough like a proper sport. Uh, right. There, I think the word like gimmick, you know, that's what Toto Wolf described it as. They belong in other series, not Formula One. And then you're always going to get someone who brings up DRS or any of the other things that they feel is quote unquote a gimmick. Uh, but I'm curious, Chris. I don't like those seen either. The, the, the sprint race for Formula Two be a reverse of the top eight finishers. Are you suggesting that even if they went with that, it would still be a gimmick? Slightly, yes. Because I don't think that won't make enough of a difference anyway, not in Formula One because you're basically just putting two midfield cars um, in front of them. But that's beside the point. You know, the reason it's there in Formula 2, it's a purpose. It's it's to hone in people's overtaking craft. They may have taken that away slightly by adding DRS into it, but there's still a reason for it being there in Formula 2. 
my feeling with reverse grids is a bit like it's like in football you give Liverpool a two nil um, disadvantage when they go into a game against someone at the bottom end of the pitch. It, it it's not it's it's a sport. It's a meritocracy. You perform well. You are at the front. That's what the sport is. It's not, you know, it's it's a show because it entertains us because we like watching cars go around racing tracks, but it's still a sport. Mercedes aren't there just to entertain people. Mercedes are there to win on Sunday and sell on Monday. Okay, so I presume that you're also against tyres that wear out to the point where you have to do pit stops, and I take it you're also against different tyre compounds because the whole point of those things was to switch around the order. That's part of the rules. That's part of that's part of something that everybody has. Well, it doesn't re- give anyone a dif- it doesn't give anyone a disadvantage for doing well. Okay, but reverse grids, you you don't get a disadvantage by being put at the back of the reverse grid. That you're just there because you're already winning. It's not an advantage. It just changes the competition from uh, from disappearing up at the front to having to make it harder to earn the points by overtaking people. I'll just stick with Alex for the moment. Because, you know, once your disadvantage goes away, if you're unable to overtake people, then in the next race, if it's reverse championship order, you've gone down the championship, you've gone further up the grid. What's the disadvantage? Because it's, you're, as you say, it's done on merit. So the better you do, the harder they give you that challenge. But that's not a long lasting advantage. It only lasts for as long as you're still disappearing to the front. But that's, it, it's the foundation of the sport, which is a case of you qualify on pole, and then that's and that's part of it. I mean, they should. I'm, to be fair, there should be points for qualifying in a way. Um, but um, yeah, the reverse the reverse grid idea. All it does is cause more chaos. And okay, chaos might be fun for the casual fan to watch, but I won't relish in watching one of my favourite drivers plow into the back of somebody else because they're going too slow into a corner. You know. Decelerate, decelerating in the acceleration zone, those sorts of things. That's just you on sim racing, Gene Top F1 drivers don't do that, Matt. And that was the point I was about <laughs> to make. Yeah, in our 40-car grid, a reverse race is utter chaos as the fast people try and get through the slow people with a vast gulf in experience. But yeah. we're not talking about a grid that size, and we're talking about the best, well... Long mostly stroll. the best racers in the world it's the pinnacle so of motorsport it, and anyone who says it, different is 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 smoking weed but go on matt it's always exciting when you see hamilton or verstappen at the back and they before the race or botas or whoever oh yeah you know we're predicting he can get to six and then maybe he gets to fifth he can never catch the other top team drivers at the front because they create such a huge advantage between the start and the first pit stop however if they're all back there the person who wins is going to be the person who is best at overtaking. And if you've got the fastest car in the first race, you have to overtake everybody to win the second race. And I'm going to say that's still racing. I think it is yeah. exciting. And I, I do like the idea. And Mercedes was very clear. The reason they oppose it is they did not want to give up their inherent in advantage. And that alone tells you everything you need to know about how much fun it would have been had they actually gone for it. But, but this is it. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. You change the emphasis on the race away from winning. So winning the race is no longer the biggest thing. The emphasis is, is now on how many cars can you overtake and the championship becomes more important. So yes, you're going you're gonna to get different winners of the race. But do you think that winning a race is the most important thing? Or do you think that competing in a sport and winning the championship overall is the most important thing? So Lewis Hamilton, who goes from 20th to 12th, 
has a better day and scores scores better relatively than oh Sergio Perez he started in fifth and and picked up the race win who walks away from that weekend the happiest is is Lewis Hamilton no sorry the winning the race and winning the championship should go hand in hand the day formula 1 is not about winning races formula 1 is dead i agree and for me for me i do not get any pleasure from watching drivers come back from grid penalties where they're starting at the back and overtaking cars that are two seconds a lap slower because for me counting that as racing is like uh championships that count passing a crashed car as an overtake and and there are series that do that also there's still an advantage uh how many mercedes powered cars are on the grid uh six yeah, how many Ferrari car powered cars are there on the grid? Oh, is this maths? Three. So it's a case six, of six. there's another six. So it depends on which cars you're coming across a particular point. So if if Lewis Hamilton is coming across a slow going um, Sergio Perez, he's going to jump out the way because that's part of it. So it's it's that whole thing of it's not fair. Like on Renault, Renault have well one car from next year, two cars from next year. So. I don't think you'll get the uh, that's a good point. The chaos that you want. That's a good point. Okay, that's a good point. Right, uh, it's not happening anyway because Mercedes said no. Boo! Someone said, "Why don't I go play Mario Kart instead?" Look, I just I I'm not one of these that says uh, that that F1 is boring and and needs fixing. But we're talking about the last tense here, and I'm excited about trying new things. I don't get nostalgic, Matt. I I don't hold on to. to, to, to tradition the the one argument that never fits with me is well it's f1 we don't do that and that to me that's that's a real argument from from ignorance i can't remember who made it sorry i i'm calling you ignorant it was chris wasn't it um if there is a better way to do things we should do it and we should never be bound by this is just the way we've always done it this is f1 oh this is not proper stiff upper lip all that kind of thing however in this case i i do agree with chris i think the reverse grid is a stretch too far but I don't object, Chris, to to other ideas to make the racing more interesting. I, I don't object to let's try a season with Formula Ford style aero and let, rip the rip the front and rear wings off, see how they go. But you're right. I think you're right. Reverse grid, nice idea. I get the spirit. Just a, just too much. And absolutely, we should be making changes to Formula One. I'm all for making changes to Formula One. If Formula One was exactly the same as it, what it was back in the 1920s, it would be awful right now. So I welcome changes. There are just some things that go against the idea of Formula One being the pinnacle of motorsport. And to me, that's what reverse grids. I, I think if you were going to do a reverse grid, it would have to be something away from the main event. Uh, yeah. You know, a bonus event, a, a second. If you were going to bring in a second race for a weekend that was worth a third of the points or half the points, I think you can, you can do that. But I think, I, think, I think the panel are generally right here. There is something special about an F1 race and there is I was being a I was playing devil's advocate but there, there is something special about an F1 race win that we don't want to cheapen as well last point from you Chris no, do you know there was something so I was watching Apollo 13 last week after the SpaceX okay. launch and there's a there's a moment in that movie where they're trying to do the live broadcast from the shuttle and none of the TV stations picked up because going to the moon isn't very interesting and I think we take for granted how awesome motor racing in general is and especially it's so good and we should not take it for granted but i wake up so grateful every day that i get to work in motorsport it is an astonishing right, thing boasting, and even geez. just enjoying it is 
It's it's fantastic. We shouldn't take it for granted. Okay, I think we do. Let's run through some of these uh, these ideas then to to make F one better and make sure that we leave ourselves time uh, to get to the Alonso stuff and the great F one news stories that we've got lined up too. So Reach does the obvious one with the Bernie Ecclestone sprinklers, artificial rain. Now I tell you what, Matt, we have gone through what I have been feeling in my gut. I'm not a meteorologist, but in my gut, I've, I've I haven't got the stats, but I felt like we've had much less wet races recently, whether that's to do with some kind of change globally, I don't know. Uh, But, you know, when people call for sprinklers, it's because we have exciting F1 races uh, when it's wet. We can't deny that. It really mixes things up. It's a grid designed to drive on slicks on dry tyres. And when we have rain, it's it's brilliant. But is it is it ice cream? You know, would every wet race being a wet race, would that be ice cream for dinner? So I'm going to start with Murray Walker, who way back in 99 actually suggested sprinklers for the first time, to my knowledge, at the European Grand Prix. Um, And he did so because there was rain there and it was exactly the kind of Hockenheim-like disaster more recently that we all know and love. If the race is a full wet race, I don't think it will be any more exciting. What's exciting about rain is it's random and it's unpredictable. And even the teams don't know for sure exactly what's going to happen. It creates chaos, confusion, messes about with the order. And, you know, for those of us who feel this way, uh, for those drivers who can be the fastest when the track is wet, it just seems like they are the best drivers because it takes away a lot of the power advantage that the top teams have. So we could see someone like Sebastian Vettel winning in a Toro Rosso. Well, that's... We could see, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Verstappen in Brazil back back when he was not uh, uh, yet established at the top of Red Bull. Uh, well, let, let's chat to Alex. You think you're a good driver, Alex. Um, when it comes to karting, uh, in the dry, uh, I look at you in the distance. If you're fighting someone ahead of me, you know, I can kind of... <laughs> Keep it there or, or thereabouts. I can see what's going on. I can give you a little bit of a fight. But ultimately, of course, you disappear. Uh, when it's the rain, it's as if I am standing still on roller skates and you are in like a dune buggy. Um, so, you know, is, is what Matt's just said there true? The better drivers do better in the rain. And, uh, and if, if, if that's the case, if the rain races are so much better, why not just have every race on wet tracks? Make Formula One a sport that drives on wet tracks. Yeah, but then every race is the same, technically. Yeah. All the cars will get better in the rain. All the cars will be set up specifically for yes. to, to work in the rain. The tyres will be adjusted to work in the rain. And it'll be like watching well, like rally, you know. All the cars are set up to work on dirt. Um, but yeah, there's a particular feel for driving in the wet. Um, it's, it's tricky because you've got to know when to get back on the throttle, know when to brake, not to brake too much because you lock the wheels, especially in a car and you're gone um you know it's finding where the grip is um knowing the circuit and it requires a lot more than i will just follow the racing line because the racing line in the wet isn't only different it moves and Evolved, changes yeah. dependent on on the strength of the rain dependent on how quick it dries up if it dries up those sorts of things yeah so the fact that there isn't just like an on off switch between wet and dry well why don't we at the olympics we just make the shot put be held or or javelin or any kind of throwing you know event why don't we put them all indoors in a completely sterile room where there's no wind for example to affect the the outcome you know it would just be it would be rubbish yeah that's part of it you know like uh archery which i practice every day because i'm an englishman and that is still the law 
in this country. Hope you've done your archery practice today, Jeansy, and uh, and the other one, Chris. That's his name. I'll fire through a couple of these quickly before I get to the main one, uh, which is our next news story, which is about a, a possible double Russian Grand Prix. Um, close his face uh, at Venable Brian suggests run the track in both directions. Uh, Chris, uh, uh, you were quite vocal against the, the reverse going around Silverstone uh, in reverse. You didn't think that would be a good idea. Yeah, because it hasn't been designed like that <laughs> and it just it doesn't work. You know, it's it's rubbish in reverse. Silverstone is a fantastic circuit that was not designed to be run backwards. Uh, thanks for your tweet, Close's Face. Yeah, but I think, Matt, you're going to disagree as well. Uh, well, I'm going to say I love the idea. It's very exciting. But the problem you have, and it's been brought up, is that the tracks are designed from a safety point of view to be run in a specific direction. So from everything to the location of Marshall Post to how the runoff is designed, runoff is key. Yeah. none of that would work in the opposite direction and would actually expose the drivers uh, potentially to a great deal of danger. And so theoretically, great idea. Yeah. Esports, yeah, let's yes. do it because it doesn't matter. But in real life, it's not going to happen. So I, I hate to be so. No, but I think we, we I think we love that from video games growing up. They would always have like a reverse layout option, and you go, "Ooh, this is interesting." And actually, you go, "Oh, I really like that corner." Therefore, it might work. I don't think it translates into into real life. And let's hope. Let's say. Let's give the track designers some credit, Chris, and say that they, you know, they designed it to be good in a certain direction and in in another direction. For example, like uh, what seems like a a big stop. And an overtaking point one way round on the other way round, it makes that corner just pointless and part of the early acceleration zone. You mean you mean like the hairpin at Abu Dhabi, for example? I was actually thinking um, about Abu Dhabi, yeah. yeah. Well, the big one that always comes up in like, oh, I'd love to see a car go down a rouge, going down a rouge backwards. It would be immense. And you're like, <laughs> snap a car. You get, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you'd also get bored of it pretty quickly in the same way that we're kind of bored of a rouge now. Uh, oh, that's a bit controversial. Rouge. Email Chris. It's it's I'm just wrong. easy flat. Who's who's? But it's, like, the thing is, it's it may it they can go through it flat, yeah. but it's not. It, and they can just keep it pinned, and they call it easy flat. But you get it wrong. You put a tiny bit too much input in. You're in the wall. You get a tiny bit too much input the wrong way. You're cutting the corner, and you're hitting that really horrible bump that's there. Yeah, so you do have to be mega precise, even though it is easy flat. Formula One cars, you can get away with that so much more. For me, like the best corner at Spa now is Puon. You do get a Puon. That's the that's the downhill left-hander that sort of gets away from you. Yeah, it's like, it used to just be like a little dab of the brakes. I think now it's just a lifter, even in Q3, they're just about taking it flat out now, but you have to have the cojones to do it. Matt. Alex Sevens uh, suggests that the second race should have a jump in it, and I personally would be okay with this. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I, I love some of those suggestions. Um, look, I, He's watched too many movies and thinks that jumps actually, cars actually survive these jumps. I it's mean, really funny when yeah. you watch a movie where a car jumps as you see the cold car fold in half and then all of a sudden the next shot, it's fine. Stadium super trucks, my friend. There we go. That's a topic for Remain Indoors for us, uh, Matt. What, what, have, what do you see in movies that you know by your trade uh, is absolutely ridiculous? Uh, there we go. We can go down a big barrel there. 2 p.m. Tuesday. Come and join us. On in at indoors remain on Twitter and remain indoors on YouTube. Are we moving on? Or are we having are we entertaining other Twitter suggestions for spicing up the race? Well, here, here's what I'm going to do. Firstly, I'm going to mention the suggestion from uh, at socially distant Ivan, 
that says, uh, don't tell them which layout of Paul Ricard they're going to race until the start of the race. And that tickled me. That tickled me senseless because that's what it feels like at Paul Ricard. Like you're watching the camera view and you're going, oh, he's in the slipstream. He's setting. Oh, there was a turn. Oh, they turned. And like, I didn't know there was a turn coming. That's down to the camera angles and just like they could put like polystyrene boards up to clearly show the corner. Uh, but yeah, go, oh yeah, they're bombing down that straight. Oh, that wasn't a straight. Uh, that would be quite interesting. I like that, Matt. But I tell you what, why don't we go to a tweet that leads us into a news story? Oh, Andrew, uh, at Andrew Cunningham, suggested get rid of Monaco and Sochi. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll argue about Monaco after, I promise. And then we'll go to the Alonso chat. Uh, but the suggestion of a, a double Sochi thing, I kind of thought that was a little bit of a, a joke on, on social media. I, I would be mortified at the thought of a double Sochi. That's like a double punch in the gonads. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, so I, I won't get into the, the Monaco fight again, but um, it was so funny because we have a double Austria, like the races there have been brilliant, a double Silverstone, it's amazing. And then Sochi went, oh, we'll, we'll do double, we'll do double events. And everyone oh, just kind no. of went, ooh, I don't know. It's, I don't it's know. like when the really unpopular person is like, so what are you guys doing after? Oh, uh, we're yeah. probably just going to... Oh, I'm feeling kind of tired, yeah, actually. Yeah, at yeah, home, yeah. Such tired. Going, I'm up for double race. I could do a double race. Uh, Alex Van Jean. I'm struggling to actually think that we've ever had a good race at Sochi. No. I can't think of... I can't actually remember a single decent race at Sochi apart from maybe Seb chasing down Bottas. Well, hang on. The, the Rosberg one happen. was vaguely interesting because everybody, wasn't it, Matt? Everyone was like, oh, what an amazing comeback from... But all he did was just put tyres on that don't wear and lost zero places. In fact, he got the benefit of running in, like, no traffic. The most amazing thing ever to happen there was Bottas and a Williams almost putting it on pole. And it's been downhill since then. I, I will counter. I got excited during a Sochi race. Uh, I remember this vividly because it's the only time it's happened. It was, it was at the end of 2015 or 2016 when Checo got the podium. Like, the last, like, 10 laps of that race because the safety car had just brought the field together and there was, was a little bit of chaos because there was a big mix of strategies and it brought everyone together and allowed a Force India onto the podium. That is the most excited I've been during a uh, Sochi race. 
but that's that's it 10 laps out of the however many hundreds they've held uh mark Enjoy- makes- Sorry, Mark makes a reasonable comment in the chat, Alex, uh, which is that it made Valencia look good. And I, I had that moment of, wait, no, hang. Well, no, actually, yeah, it's a good point. It, Valencia had that one good race that one time, I think in 2012. Uh, Sochi's yet to have that. Gene T, sorry, make your point, mate. I interrupted you. Don't worry about it. Missed it. Don't, don't, don't be like that. Now you're basically saying, oh, it's fine. No, no, no it just it didn't. It was, don't worry. It's fine. It's not fine, is it? Matt, that definitely sounded like a spousal fine. It's fine. Yeah, this is, fine. This, is, this is giving you some PTSD here. Uh, but what I do want to mention is that... No, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. It's you go ahead. No, it's fine. No, go ahead. You're like, oh, this is a week on the couch, isn't it? Anyway, um, <laughs> as we lapse into our other show accidentally, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. Uh, what's come up is China is is emerging as a contender, actually, for another double header. The double headers okay. matter. Yes, I think they do. Because we yes. need the 15 races for the full TV contract. And we've got... Austria, we got Budapest, we got Silverstone, we got Barcelona, and other names that are coming up. I mean, Russia has put themselves forward. Sure, there's there's absolutely no virus in our country. You can come here anytime you want and and do a double header, which that, may or may not be true, but they, it doesn't matter because they claim, we're racing places where the virus is anyway. Did they claim they've got um, no coronavirus? Well, I. I may be exaggerating for comedic oh, okay. effect. People at home, no, no. be aware. The, the reason you said that home. was because when there was controversy about gay athletes going to the Olympic Games, the, the mayor of Sochi said, oh, that's interesting. We don't have any gay people in Sochi. And uh, so for them to claim they didn't have a virus that has affected the entire world wouldn't surprise me. I'm going to stop right there because my daughter's doing a research project on Russia for her final world history. Uh, for final world history grade and i'm just gonna have to stop talking about russia and okay. how they measure things and the way their system works or else we're all going to be in a lot of geopolitical trouble <laughs> okay but what i want to get back to is some other names that have been mentioned in europe uh include hockenheim imola and even Mugello, which uh, i don't know seem like they might be some interesting new places for formula one to go in this uh, somewhat strange and different time we find ourselves Magello, I think, would be amazing. I've always wanted them to not go to it because uh, it's it's fantastic for bike racing. The uh, the MotoGP there is always the highlight of the season, and I thought, oh, if F1 goes there, they're going to ruin and butcher the circuit. Um, but for a case like this, um, I can I can make the exception. I love the fact that Hockenheim is being called upon because they've said, nope, we're not going to Germany this year, and then suddenly there's a shortage of tracks. And they, they come to Hockenheim with their head in their hands. They're like, please come back onto our calendar. I'd be happy. Hockenheim's great. I love I'd that track. I'd be very brilliant. Good, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, that that is the nut of the argument is if we're going to do these double headers to make sure we get enough races in, where do we go? What tracks do we pick? And we have some interesting new options along with some of the ones that have been standard on the calendar thus far. Okay, so I've got um, conflicting interests from the panel here, but I do want to get to various things. So, Alex Van Jean, uh, tell us why. Why do you hate lovable Fernando Alonso? Like, let's be let's be completely clear here. Uh, we'll put this in context. When we say hate, we mean not a fan of, and you think is overrated. But let, we'll, we'll 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 caveat this that we are talking about um, you know, in comparison to the very best drivers in Formula One. Fernando Alonso clearly a very talented. Very fast driver. He's done a lot for the sport. He's been a global ambassador. Uh, but you are not a fan of his and feel that he is perhaps overhyped. Is that is that correct? 
A little bit. Um, I used to be a fan of Alonso. When he was at Renault, I, I loved him. I thought, he was, I thought he was great. But then he kind of lost his way. I mean, the way I, I'm kind of describing it is um, the fall of a career, but the rise of an icon. Because he's gone from this um, figure that um, his career actually didn't go very well after winning two championships, it went completely off a cliff, basically. He had a couple of good runs, um, but never really actually achieved that much. And even in the championships where he got close, he didn't actually win that many races. Um, but then he's hyped himself and talked himself up so much that everyone believes what he said and thinks he's amazing. Um, because he created the hype about his driving ability when he started back in 2001 and when he worked his way through Minardi then to Benetton and Renault um, and won two back-to-back one back-to-back championships basically retired Michael Schumacher um, because Michael Schumacher called it a day after Alonso won his after won his first title so he's definitely a fantastic peddler um, put him in 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 control of any car and he will get a decent performance out of it um, but unfortunately when he moved to McLaren the ego took over and he was like, well, I'm Mr. Two-time world champion. I must get absolutely everything. And he got mentally beaten by a 22 year old rookie. Oh, okay. Right. So I've got my first counter and I know that Chris is lined up to have uh, a counter. This is a great discussion. It, it, it's long overdue here. Um, so my, my first, my first counter here, Alex, is that we did not know what Lewis Hamilton was at the time. And we didn't know that he was going to go on and be an icon in the sport, win championships with two different teams, be a six-time world champion at least. And we get used to rookies needing to come in and need a season and, and need uh, need time to get bedded in. But we're also used now to younger drivers coming in. So I put to you that a 22-year-old Lewis Hamilton was a bit more mature than some of the drivers who came in, that he is a once-in-a-generation talent. And actually, Fernando Alonso was pretty unlucky. You you would have, the odds tell you that you're up against a rookie and you're a two-time world champion. You should, A, win the political battle in the team, which maybe he didn't, but also, B, you would fancy your chances of, of beating him. It looks bad because he was a rookie, but I'll put to you that given what we know now, it was probably pretty good. It's pretty decent. How many other drivers on the grid would have run Lewis Hamilton that close? Yeah, I, I'll agree and say, you know, I think that season says more about Lewis Hamilton than it does about Fernando Alonso. But I mean, you you know, you mentioned his ego, a racing driver with an ego. What a shocker. <laughs> Do you know some people accuse uh, broadcast presenters of, of having an ego as well? It's, it's, just, no. shocking. it's just shocking. It's just shocking. Uh, let's let Van Jean counter. So my whole theory with Alonso at McLaren is if he just driven hadn't got involved in the political battle and had just driven, he'd have won 2007. He wouldn't have left McLaren and probably would have won 2008. But he can't just get on with the job and do the job. He has to do the political side. And then, I mean, all my res- I know I can pinpoint the exact time I lost every single ounce of respect for Fernando Alonso, and that was in Hungary when he waited in the pit box. Um, mm. And that completely ended it for me um so as far as i'm concerned he could have won four championships in a row but because he can't keep his mouth shut and because he can't keep his temperament in order he cost himself two championships trumpets let's face it he's the best world champion to not be able to pass petrov when it mattered in a ferrari no less right i'm just gonna put it out there but 
in terms of like we've Alonzo, got a gang war here. This is great. Yeah, go on. In terms of Alonzo, the thing about him that has been so riveting is to watch him as he is slowly turned, uh, I guess, into Grey Gardens, Miss Havisham territory with the McLaren Honda and whatnot. They just put his full acerbicness on display for the media. He's been so entertaining with his memes and his radio con- comments and stuff like that. I would fully support him coming back to be that entertaining in a midfield team where he can't really win and he can't live with the fact that he knows he thinks he could still win, but can't because he's not in the right team. That was like genius television and drama, I believe. Yeah, I can't give you the Petrov thing because that was in Abu Dhabi yeah. pre-Pirelli tires, pre-Kurs, pre-DRS. So doesn't really seem fair. Um, you know, the, the fact that he didn't have the car in 2012, for example, as well. But 100%, Alonso only has himself to blame for not winning more championships. 2012 is probably the exception because there's no way that car should have been in the championship fight. But every other turn... A lot of decisions that he's made in his career have led him down the wrong path. You know, if he if he did stayed at Ferrari, for example, after 2014, he could have been fighting for titles against Lewis Hamilton in 2017 and 2018. So I have a I've done a little bit of background on the 2010 championship and the 2012 championship because I think looks can be deceiving as to what actually happened if you look into a lot of the facts of those championships. Um, it's actually given me a little bit more respect for Sebastian Vettel, if I'm brutally honest. Um, so in 2010, Sebastian Vettel lost three wins due to, meta- due to mechanical issues. Of those three wins that he lost, Alonso benefited from two of them. So that's a complete 20-50 point swing that Alonso had over um, Vettel in those. And 2010 and 2012, I think 2011 as well, was when Red Bull were having all those alternator issues, weren't they? So it wasn't, it was quite a fragile car, the Red Bull. Um, The Red Bull drivers in 2010, and well, all the way through their time together, they were allowed to fight. They were allowed to really, really go at each other. So they were constantly taking points off of each other. Or, for example, in Turkey, they completely took the race from each other. Massa was never allowed to do that to Fernando. And one of the other races that was um, gifted to Alonso was when Massa had to pull over for him. So there's a whole bunch of points in 2010 that Alonso didn't, we didn't drive well enough to deserve. He just inherited, um, which again takes away how far away he would have been in that championship fight. But again, Ferrari did not have the car to beat the Red Bull. The Red Bull was the fastest car that season. If anything, you'd argue Ferrari had like the third best car that year. It was such a competitive championship though, where we had five drivers going for the title. The fact that there were these big swings is, is not really surprising. Alex, can I do a counter? Okay, so we're, we're marking this in world championships he could have won. How many drivers can say they've competed and been in the fight for as many championships with as many different teams as Fernando Alonso? It's not a coincidence that he kept being up there in the scrap. The guy is clearly uh, a talent, and he could be the talent of his particular generation. I have not doubted, as I said, I've said this from the start, I am not doubting (laughs) Fernando Alonso's ability. However, certain circumstances have brought him into particular places. So then we talk about 2012. So did he have a bad car to nearly win the title? Both teammates, so Mark Webber and Felipe Massa, finished sixth and seventh in that championship. The only Mm. difference between them was the two wins Mark Webber had. Other than that, they were equal on points. So 
actually, and the, between them was the two McLarens and Kimi Raikkonen. So if the number two drivers are doing the set, uh, 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 are competing against each other, it's not really a surprise that the two number ones from those two teams are also competing against each other. Sorry, when were Massa and Weber ever on track together? What was the points difference between those two? Weber won two races. Fifty-three. You cannot sit. It was fifty-three right. points. You cannot sit there and, and say that's two wins. That the and that's Ferrari. Two wins. You can't sit there and say the Ferrari was as good as the Red Bull. Would you say that's Massa ridiculous. is as good? Would you say Massa is as good as Mark Webber? No. And would you say? And would you say Massa or Mark Webber oh. are even in the same league as Sebastian Vettel? No. Or Fernando Alonso? No. So, and the fact that there was two. There was a two McLarens and a and a Lotus, I think it was yeah. at the time, between them, and the Red Bull was below. I actually am starting to think Sebastian Vettel got a lot more out of that Red Bull than we actually give him a lot of credit for. Well, I never would have said I'd never said Red Bull had the best car that year. McLaren had the best car that year, and they yes. threw away championships yes. on reliability. Lewis should have won that title. Yeah, hundred percent. He should have won that again. Title. So again, but it was towards the end of the season that, that car picked up, but kept on breaking down. But again, Alonso got there um, again. So uh, what was the other point I to, made? To be fair, I've, just, I've made the point in the past, so I didn't want to One let it go. The- I've made the point in the past that you don't have a fast car if it doesn't if it doesn't finish and it's unreliable. So I just want to make that point. No, of course, yeah. but again, there was another um, um, Seb's only failure was at that race at Valencia, which is lauded as. Alonso's finest hour and best race, but it was gifted to him. Seb had disappeared into the distance twice. Okay, a very passionate defence there from Alex Van Gene. Final word to you, Matt. Well, I just, you know, we were talking about, you made that point about McLaren, and I just want to say, forget the reliability of the car. Just give them a couple of normal length pit stops, and I believe <laughs> Hamilton would have won that year. Oh, yes, okay, granted. M- McLaren certainly did have the best car in terms of performance um and you could see the frustration building with hamilton during that year and i'm sure that is what led to him taking the risk to go to to go over to mercedes but that's all history i think you've put forward a a great case alex uh i i will make one last point which is that i just think he's been brilliant for the sport he's got a good personality you you said early earlier that his personality at cost him the chances of some some additional uh, world championships. I will put it to you that had he not been that way, had he not had those traits you described that made him uh, essentially Fernando Alonso, perhaps he wouldn't have got as far as, as he did. So I'm backing him uh, all the way here in this debate. So just a quick thing. Obviously, the thing that then bumped up his um, reputation, though, was his time at McLaren. Because it was really easy for him to go, oh, it was the best qualifying lap of my entire life. But because the car's rubbish, I can't get anything. It was He was impervious. Because he had this following over him and around him, he was able to just say, I'm amazing. I've done the most amazing things, but GP2 engine, GP2 engine. But the kind of, the, the end point I wanted to make on the whole thing is, as I said, I said several times throughout this chat, Alonso is a fantastic race car driver, but he lacks every other quality which it takes to be a great racing driver and a great <laughs> champion. Um, he arguably has a, forget the championships bit, he arguably has a less impressive career CV than Sebastian Vettel, which is why if it comes down to the Renault seat and it comes down to Alonso or Seb, I'd actually take Seb. I would too.
Let's get back to our suggestions for spicing up F1. Uh, Chris said he didn't want to have an argument about Monaco. So I'll tell you what we'll do, Chris. We'll, we'll accept you think Monaco's brilliant because you're part of the establishment and you are all contracted to go, oh, uh, actually, you have to be there. I know nothing happens for two hours, but if you stand at the corner of Sandivart and see how close the bit of rubber gets to the bit of metal, like, you guys all have to do that. I get that. No. But it is... Can I just... It is, it, it, no, no, no. As a TV broadcast and as a race, it is obviously the dullest experience of the F1 season. So you're going to maintain that, and I'm going to maintain my point. That's not what I'm here to debate. Every Grand Prix, Grand Prix I've ever watched at Monaco has been on the TV. I only went there for a Formula E race, yes, but you, and I wasn't uh, allowed no. to be trackside. But you have to, because you still have and to I, say it, because in, you want to be invited no. to there by Formula 1. I get it. I, Chris, no, I get it. I, You've got to lie to get ahead. I understand. No. I'm in media, Chris. I, know, I, am, I don't I know get it. invited to races. I earned my way in there. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, Simon Smith, though, suggests... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna differ on opinions. I get that, and lots of people will get angry with both of us. Simon Smith says a minimum four pit stops for tire changes at Monaco. Um, lean into the idea that we make Monaco a special case. That we acknowledge that it is special and it's got a jewel in the crown. I, I'm paraphrasing now, um, but he's saying it means that people would need to push, knowing that they couldn't just rely on holding everyone up, which is frankly a farce. Um, it also means the race uh, has some strategy. And trains of cars get released regularly. I don't mind that. The big flaw I can see in this is if you if you make Monaco a special case and make special rules because it's a jewel in the crowd has has a special place in F one history. You're also admitting that it's a rubbish race, Chris. Yeah. So no, I can't argue with that because uh, the again it's the whole sport versus entertainment thing on the sporting side of things you just deal with what you get on the entertainment side of things it's we have to find a way to make this as action packed and i loosely use that term because how do you define it oh number of overtakes no just I've, anything oh, happening chris. chris they're not racing not. chris they're not racing are they no, no they one's are. pushing no one's pushing at monaco come on no, okay, that is because of the useless tires and the rate set of regulations we have now. This you could put a, the best tires in the world on. Exasperated problem that we have now. You could put the best tires in the world in. Daniel Ricciardo could Ricardo could win with all that engine power loss, and he could just park it in every corner. Now, in in football, the when I was a kid, the two smallest league pitches. I'm going to educate you here. Were Highbury, which is Arsenal's old ground, and uh, Layer Road which was Colchester United, my team's ground. And the thing is, football just evolved past them to the point where Colchester United just played this really weird style of football where they used no width whatsoever because they had a tiny pitch. And both teams have had to move to the Western Homes Community Stadium and the Emirates, um, respectively. So if football can realise that they outgrew their pitches, why can't F1 just admit that they've outgrown Monaco? Uh, I, because, well, because of marketing, because of sponsorship, because it is the most watched Grand Prix of the year, every year. Okay, uh, Van Jean, Monaco, let's keep the, it, but let's have let's have four pit stops, like Simon says. It's the challenge for the drivers to thread the needle through the streets of Monaco at 180 miles an hour plus is just a phenomenal sight to watch from the best racing drivers in the world and Stroll. It is... <laughs> It can't be. It Sorry, can't that, that be left. That caught me. To the side. That caught me. That did. 
Right. So the only thing at Monaco that is truly exciting is qualifying because all of the drivers are on the edge of their ability to control the car in order to nab pole because it is so important. Verstappen crashes. We've seen all sorts of entertainment. The last really good race I remember there uh, was the was it the Ricardo Hamilton duel where it rained and he Hamilton stayed out on the tires and Ricardo made the stop. Yeah, that's that's once every longest pit stop in history. But yeah, once every how many years? I don't know. I mean, it's just because of the nature of the cars and how they've evolved. It's very hard to get good racing there these days. But the qualifying is unbelievably exciting. Okay, so do we accept Simon's idea? Let's just have four pit stops and that will keep unlocking them and we'll see more of that qualifying action uh, on a Sunday as well and see them pushing flat out, Chris. Look, why are you arguing with this? I'm giving you a way to make Monaco better and keep it as the special thing you love. I'm taking the concept and just tweaking it because it's not unusual. There are a few racing series that have specific tyres for specific races because of a circuit's unique needs. Um, so if I were to hasten back to um, uh, Phillip Island in MotoGP, there were a few years there where they had to force riders to swap bikes mid-race because the tires were falling apart, right? So there's no reason why you couldn't, say, introduce a unique tire that is a lot more durable and people don't have to just crawl around. They can push a little bit more or you force a, a two-stop strategy. You say the four. rule is you have to make two mandatory pit stops. Simon wants four. If four, four is excessive. I never liked four-stop races <laughs> back in 2011. That was too much. Two to three is perfect. Okay, let's um, have a suggestion here that pandas to Matt Brandon on Twitter says, bring back the tyre war, which uh, tends to produce great racing. He cites 97, 98, 2003, 05, and 06, but over 20 races, each driver has to use, use each tyre twice balancing out the advantage of one tyre over another. Okay, so forgetting the sort of gimmicky bit at the end, Matt, I always get the sense that you're a fan of the one-tyre compound and you like the, 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 the teams having the same tyre challenge and the variation that Pirelli... Uh, have I mischaracterised your view there? No, because if you look at how the tyre wars ultimately played out, the people who had the most money to spend on their tyres wound up with the best tyres and it's just another variation of the people with the most money win the most often. So this would be my this would be my number one argument to it. And my number two argument to it, it would be given the nature of modern sponsorship and the way the sport runs, uh, you would not get the commitment that Pirelli has shown if you had a tire war. People the much like engine manufacturers, how much money would you really be willing to drop into F one if your competitor was was beating you like a gong every other week because the one team that used the other tire was willing to give you an extra half a billion euros to develop it. What I love about this argument, people always list off, oh, the great tyre war years. There was this season, this season, and this season. And like, yeah, but in between that, you also had a bunch of really bad seasons. Has the ratio of really great championship fights to one driver walking away with it changed at all since we went to a single tyre supplier? No. You still get good years and bad years. You still get good races and bad races. This is just another way to ruin the sport. You still get good years and Bridgestones. Exactly. You did. 20, 2010 was a class year yeah. as a sole tyres flyer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm with Matt. Matt, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I, like, I like the... 
To, to be honest, I probably nudge more towards spec series. I'll never support like a full spec series, but I, I do nudge more towards uh, the unification of parts. Because if you look at it as a a total effort in the olden days that everyone harks back to when they could have six-wheeled uh, Tyrrells and double wings and all those kind of things, they would spend a certain amount of time on the innovations that, that, that they could affect. Uh, if you now look at Formula One, it's far more complex. There's more things than you can affect. So you can you can standardise more of the parts of the F1 car and, and still have the same amount of engineering room and challenge. All you're doing is uh, you're, you're nailing down more of the basic platform. So, you know, people get upset, oh, customised, have a customised front wing. I think that, how's, how's that? That would be all right, wouldn't it? Let's have a customised front wing that saves kajillions in development and they will still have lots of other things to play with. Now, Chris is going to object to that, as will everybody listening, I'm sure. SpannersReady at gmail.com, uh, at SpannersReady, at MissedApexF1 on Twitter as well. We would love to hear your comments. So my issue with the standardization of parts is that you start to take away teams' abilities to negotiate with suppliers. What was so great about, um, say, like Formula 3000 back in the day was that teams were able to negotiate their own tire deals, their own engine deals, and get things cheap as chips. And then as soon as things become spec racing, it's offered to you by one person for one price, non-negotiable. And if you can't go with that price, oh, okay. then there's no yeah. dice. No, that's fair. But my counter to that would be similar to what I was saying to Matt is uh, there are more parts now that it's more complex. So just because you narrow down the amount that you can change and negotiate, there will still be a window where you can negotiate and develop. For sure. But I, well, there's one of my worries anyway, is just that, you know, it will become a point where this part is now more expensive for seven of the 10 teams. Okay. To but, but, create. but Mark Skid puts a point in there saying, well, how about narrowing the floor, uh, the cost around the development to make, to make the new floors, Matt, that's, that's a big area. And you could just go, now, you could quash that all in one go and just go, now, nah, floor's got to be flat. Well, I think he might actually be referencing the change in the 21 regulations oh, where okay. they've, uh, narrowed the, they've narrowed the floor towards the rear of the car and, and chopped off about 100 millimeters or so as you move backwards. And that's going to get rid of. In the original regulations, the floor was squared out. The teams, there was an extra 100 mil of, of floor to play with. However they didn't update the regulations to account for that. So the teams had this extra room to play with, and we saw all sorts of exciting and delightful developments to prevent, wait for it, tire squirt, uh, fully enclosed holes, slots, this, that, and the other. So what's been done is for 21, they've narrowed the back. So it goes from wider to narrower. This will make managing uh, tire squirt from the rear tires harder, which affects the diffuser and therefore the downforce. Uh, But they've not changed the regulations so that space that they've been able to put fully enclosed holes and all sorts of weird aerodynamic kinks into has essentially now disappeared. Unfortunately, uh, that's going to advantage the teams that still have the most resources over the midfield. But the reason it's being done is tires, of course, because as we brought up previously on the show, you brought up for the third year in a row, we essentially are having the same tires and we've got more and more and more energy being put into them. And so the FIA is looking for ways to dial back the energy going into the tires so Pirelli doesn't have to develop a brand new 21 tire and then a completely different size 22 tire uh, basically simultaneously. 
And so that's what I thought he was talking about. Was I wrong? Well, the chat room have actually said quite vocally, there's 30, co- don't check, but there's 30 comments telling you to shut up about tires. But we, we respect <laughs> what our audience say because we are funded and driven by our audience, Matt. And uh, we have survived the pandemic quite handsomely thanks to uh, two lines of support. So we have managed to increase our patron support, uh, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And uh, Matt, I know like every time I, I give you the end of the month figures, you, you sort of ask me like, you know, you double take. Yeah, no, I, I've been, I think, pleasantly surprised is the traditional turn of phrase, but that doesn't even begin to cover how much our uh, patrons have given to the show and enabled us to keep it going uh, through these challenging media times, if I'm being honest. It's certainly very, very challenging because uh, all our ad revenue from the from the just basically it disappeared uh we were actually looking to be in pretty good shape had the season started in australia and survival was touch and go the ad revenue just disappeared completely uh we did get an uptake in patrons and we really appreciate that the running costs of missed apex as an organization uh is is looking healthy uh, we can always uh, do more uh, and I'm, I'm always trying to resist the temptation of of going back to a full-time engineering job that would affect this Apex podcast. But if you want to be a patron and support this podcast, uh, we will, in return, do our best to compensate you. An ad-free feed, uh, a little thing, but you can have a feed without adverts on it. Uh, you can also have access to our patron-only episodes, which will be making a comeback uh, now that lockdown is starting uh, to ease and the world is starting to get back towards normal. So we'll have patron-only shows, which are a lot of fun, and you can join our wonderful Slack community, patreon.com forward slash Apex. although people have been using our tip jar as well. So mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar, or it's on the homepage as well. When we get tip jar contributions, I tend to use those, Matt, for forwarding the project. So for things like this new mixer, uh, equipment for live shows, uh, better software packages. So the tip jar, re- when I get tip jar stuff, it, it acts like a war chest and I go, oh, we can do the things we've always been thinking of. Yes. And I should remind everyone they can even uh, contribute in the super chat in YouTube. For example, Harriet has contributed $1.99 and Mike Stoner, who had, I thought, a wonderful idea has contributed as well. His idea for spacing up race number two was don't tell anyone the length of the second race. <laughs> okay, that tickled me. That did tickle me. Like Because they would all have to push is the point that, that Mike was making there. And then at any point, yeah, they couldn't just go, right, we're going to follow behind him and wait for the pit stop. It would have to be hammer time all the time. Uh, however, the sponsors might be less happy when the Monaco Grand Prix comes to a conclusion after five laps. Uh, We've got some more suggestions to run through. Uh, I know you'll get upset at me if we don't cover your F1, uh, your Ferrari news story, Matt. So let's get to that. A couple more suggestions, comment of the week, and then let's get out of here. All right, then. Well, to me, this is the most interesting thing that happened this week, is we have seen multiple technical directives about ERS sensors and about oil burning ostensibly from the agreement between Ferrari and the FIA. At least that's how it's being put forward in the media. And specifically, there is a new and updated sensor uh, that is going to be run only on the top three teams initially, which maybe tells you everything you need to know uh, as to how they measure the energy going into and coming out of the energy recovery system on the car. And that there are new and even more stringent um, mechanisms 
for the oil consumption, which is down to three-tenths of a liter per hundred kilometers, is the current regulation, um, new sealing procedures and new measurement procedures as well. And let's remember that it's not just about getting the oil into the piston, but also about the additives in the oil aiding combustion even after that oil is burnt. Okay, I understood and followed uh, all of that, Matt. Uh, what's what's the, the main draw? Uh, what, I looked around the, the, the panel and everyone was looking as lost as I was. Uh, but look, oil burning, they're getting on top of it. Right, so let's all recall that everyone accused Ferrari of cheating, of felonious conduct, which was never entirely proven. However, we had that mysterious, we are cooperating with the FIA, and we admit no wrongdoing. Kind of like that guy in Catch Me If You Can. Yes, I, I was a total fraud, but now I work for the FBI and tell them how people do what I did. And suddenly we have these new technical directives oh, right. around okay. the areas in which Ferrari was really thought to have been, well, let's just say pushing the boundaries a bit too much. Maybe that's a good way to put it for our legal department. I don't know. Um, and I notice also that there's even been a technical directive about fuel flow meters and how they'll be read in the mid-range of the engine. So the speculation is a lot of this has been informed from what Ferrari has told the FIA technical department as part of their agreement with the FIA. And the fact that the top three teams, especially the Earth sensor, will be the initial ones to be fitted with it tells you that the FIA really suspect that that's an area in which the teams have been getting away with rather a lot. And you might know, see whoa, whoa. some interesting things when they finally get on track. That's all I'm saying. The teams... And by the teams, presumably we mean, I don't want to get the legal department involved, but, you know, some, you know, not all pigs are equal. Right. Well, I mean, one presumes at this point Ferrari has nothing to lose. <laughs> I didn't say Ferrari. So, I didn't say Ferrari. So Ferrari. Uh, Red Bull, Mercedes, will this affect them at all? I don't know. But come the first race, it'll be fun to find out for sure, won't it? We've got some great news stories that we can save for next week. It certainly will be fun to see the the output of that. I want to run through a few of the ones that we didn't get to uh, discuss in depth. Sean Bull Designs, hi Sean, said three car teams and the third car has an NFL style draft pick for the seat. Drivers have contract, uh, contracts with the sports rather than individual teams. That's an interesting concept. I mean, cricket uh, revolutionized the way that they managed uh, contracts internationally uh, in the 90s. I don't know if you caught that, Chris, if you were following uh, England cricket in the in the 90s uh, you know they went to central contract where contracts where uh, instead of saying right you're contracted to your club and we can pick you and compensate your club for playing you they said no you are now team England uh, so in the same way a Formula One could say well okay well you're not contracted to a team you're contracted to Formula One uh, we have 10 drivers for these spare seats it's a 30 car grid now and you can essentially bid or based on your championship position take turns to, to pick which one of our rookie drivers say that you want to pick. I turn on cricket when I want to fall asleep and I'm struggling. You are the worst. Um, I like the idea, but I wouldn't do it with three car teams because uh, I, I worry too much about, you know, suddenly we get all Mercedes podiums and uh, suddenly it's not just a top six that you have you know, that are way quicker than the rest of the field. Suddenly it's nine cars well, that great. are way too quick. And that's most of the, that's all by one points paying position. Wait, 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 Chris, now, you've just said, well, change the points. This, wait, you wait. get you get too bogged down in tradition and the way things are done. 
if if that's not enough points, do points down to 15. You've just said we've got okay. six teams competing at the top and then you're now objecting to having nine teams. Nine is better than six. Anyway, <laughs> what I would have is a, like a dedicated team yeah. to to these, you know, these rolling things. So you have an 11th team on the grid that has this this rolling driver thing. So every it brings in one or two d- different drivers every every week. Uh, good. I, I like the suggestion. My biggest wish in F1 is for a bigger grid, and I'll take that with three-car teams or I'll take that with customer teams. I just I don't think 20 is enough. I've, I've always felt that since we went down to 20, there's been something missing. And as soon as you have any attrition, it, it wrecks the, the spectacle uh, of the race. Uh, we've got some great little suggestions here as well. So we've got Gales, who says uh, a computer would randomly select some races and laps throughout the season where a safety car would be deployed for five laps and that information would be kept secret from the teams competition caution chris so we joke about that but isn't that a rule in nascar <laughs> where much. every yeah. every x laps the caution flag comes out yeah well you know it, it, i don't think it's as stupid as it sounds because what you're saying is your position is important but the gap in your position isn't as important so yes we respect the fact that you're first second third and fourth but we're not going to ultimately respect the fact that you're 20 meters up the road that that, well, I don't care about that. We're not taking any positions away from you. And it, you would just have races, Matt, where people would, would not bother pulling away because uh, a caution could come out at any time. Well, not only that, but let's consider when it happens uh, could lead to free pit stops for certain people. Yeah. Oh, and oh, costly yeah. ones for others. So you could wind up being in first place, but not being able to pit. And if you pit, now you're suddenly going to be in fifth or sixth place. So there could be some interesting and fun calculations as a part of it. It looks fun from a strategy point of view, but I'm actually not a fan of (laughs) the safety car coming out and completely ruining people's strategies. Um, Because if you've got to a point where you've worked really hard to get in a race and through no fault of your own, no strategy problems, you've run the perfect strategy because you've made the tyres last and you've gone far ahead. To then have that completely blown by something out of your control, I don't find that... Well, no, that would be part of it. I don't find that as an entertaining sporting... But that element, that, that, element, that element would be part of it in the same way that now there's a risk of rain. So, you know, there is a risk of rain. That's a random element. But you, if, there's, if there's a chance that rain could come in, Matt, you, you, you factor that into your calculations. There's a, there's a reason there's a safety car window as part of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, there is. And in fact, it made me think for, for some reason that I cannot define of Maldonado, the safety car. <laughs> yeah. And then I remembered that, you know, someone said there was no jumps in Formula One, but I believe he did find a jump. In Malaysia, at least once. Do you remember that? That was Petrov. That was Vitaly Petrov. That was Petrov. Oh, was that uh, Petrov? Yes, Sorry. it was, yeah. That's another great okay. circuit that's gone missing, Malaysia. I love that circuit. Uh, uh, no argument here. I would take three. In fact, I would take three, yeah, over over half a Russian one. Uh, and also, of course, Abu Dhabi, who launched himself over Perez. Uh, not over over Rosberg was that Carthacan? Carthaca- no, Rosberg no, went over Carthacan. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Matt. Anyway. Uh, could I get in with a suggestion from our listeners? You can. Uh, Rasmus Vestigard, if I've said that correctly, probably not. wants to limit the mechanics over the wall <laughs> in the second race. I think that would be fun if you only had half the people over the wall in race number two. It would change a lot of things and it might be entertaining. So what, less for pit stops? Is that what you're driving at? Yeah, that like half the number over the wall for the second race in the pit stops. Completely unworkable. But I, 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 I get the general theme. However, what I will say is I love the fast pit stops. 
because it removes pit stops as an element in the race. And I've grown up uh, in, in an era of F1 where bad pit stops have decided far, far too many race results. And I, I really don't like that. Uh, for me, like gravel traps, I don't like a little mistake. He puts you in the gravel trap and now there's only six cars left in the race. I always hated it when uh, a tyre nut gets stuck or they have a slow pit stop and that changes the result of the race. I, I, I ne- That never sat particularly well with me. Um, I think the last one I'll go to, Matt, is uh, Brendan, who says, no helmets, I want to see those luscious locks flying. The reason I like that suggestion is it because it reminded me of, you know, that Mark Webber on his last race uh, into Lagos where he, he he rode with his with his helmet off. And now, firstly, from a health and safety point of view, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Little chip comes up, you're, you're toast. Uh, helmets are there for a reason. Uh, death only has to win once. You have to win every day. I'm, I'm sure he's very much enjoying being alive now. Uh, but uh, also... What really irked me about that was he didn't do it right. I just like, if you're going to take your helmet off, just chuck it out of the car. It, it, it just seemed like such a faff, Alex. Do, do you remember? Do you, do you remember that? And I just remember just thinking, like, if you're going to do it, you've got to just bin it off, mate. You've got to bin it off. Give it, give it to a marshal as a yes. present. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Hand it to a marshal yeah, as a present. Go, the there you go, mate. And then drive back, and the stone chips up and goes through your head. Yeah, but once he was actually um, doing it, it, it looked awesome. It did. It yes. wasn't very clever, but it <laughs> did look awesome. Uh, yeah, no, I, I loved it, and uh, and you're right. We don't see enough of the drivers. That is a big, a bit of a shame of of modern cars that we don't get to see as much uh, of what's going on. But, you know, these tubs are much safer than when we saw the full shoulders and the arm movement. And and I'll take that. I'll take that for now. I'd rather see them get out of the car after a big crash than see them while they're driving the car. Oh, I know. Alonso. uh, Alonso, Australian Grand Prix. Like, that should not be a survivable crash. And uh, I will sacrifice a, a bit of watching shoulders and arm movement for that being survival crash and i i loved the fact here in more defense of alonso a nice family man yeah uh, he, he said that his first thought was he wanted to get out of the car quickly so that his mum knew that he was okay he didn't want to sit in the car and wait to check that he was okay because he wanted to, to he wanted his mum to know that he was all right guys i i really enjoyed this show i enjoyed it as as much as i thought i would with all the fantastic listener suggestions for how to spice up f1 to be clear we're not here saying F1 is broken. We're, we're exploring the fine margins and a lot of these ideas are great, especially in an era where we've got Liberty Media and Ross Braun who are open to trying new things and we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be closed to trying new things and we should not be trapped by nostalgia and tradition. But I do believe that we've got a great sport that we're all fans of and I'm really looking forward to it starting again. So big thanks to Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, Alex Van Jean at Alex Van Jean. It's a weird name, so I'll spell it for you. V A N G E E N at Alex Van Jean. Follow me at Spanners Ready. The show at Missed Apex F1. You can be Facebook friends with me, Richard Ready, and Facebook friends with Matt by searching for Matt Trumpets on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening, downloading. Thank you to our patrons who support us. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And thanks to the live chat with their great comments. And one, one of these noble commenters will rise above all the others and be the winner of... Comment of the week. I crescendoed towards that. I'm proud of it. I stand by it. Very well done. I'm being quiet now. This is your bit where you do the comments. I know. I'm relaxing. Yeah, so- I'm settling in. In fact, I've got a beer. I'm settling in. 
for all the comments for the 17. And you might as well because the chat room has been in fuego tonight. <laughs> I know, and lots of them too. Um, so I start at the top with Rose, Russell Coburn, who donated 10 entire pounds in the super chat. Oh okay. my goodness. Thank you. You can't buy comment of the week to be clear, but thank you. And along those lines, Mike Stoner, can I just say that Matt is looking marvelous today before I hammer says it. Stuart Neal at Matt is looking handsome and the video is not on yet. And Alex seven spanners is looking healthy as much as we love these comments. No, hang on a minute. I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like Matt is looking great. And I'm looking healthy. That sounds like my dearly departed <laughs> grandmother. And like when, 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 I, no, when I was in my late 20s, she would like grab my cheeks and she'd go, oh, Ricky, good boy. You are putting on weight. You look like a real man. You are looking healthy. And I'd be like, that's not, Granny, no. That's not a compliment. It's the best one I could find. I'm, I'm doing my best for you, my friend. I'm doing my best. <sighs> okay. Uh, Ron Staru also... Um, I hope the actual racing is as good as the off-season has been. The entertainment has been superb. Cheers to all for filling the gap. Thank you very much for that compliment. We we'll, always love that. We'll take some credit. Uh, and now, on to the actual, on to the actual contender. We Mike Stoner, turn yet. Nick up. I can't hear him. Turn who? Nick. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, Nick's yeah, busy know, doing accountant stuff. I know. So, something like that. Um, Mark Greenhow is in with, I may have said this before, but I'm starting to think that the racing is my least favorite part of F1. <laughs> it's soap opera there's so much drama yeah. there's so much entertainment and that's why we can do this but no the, the racing uh the racing is fantastic as well i love the drama of the on-track action on a sunday i hammer uh you need to let matt trumpets talk about tires a little he's been holding it back for at least two months and he's gonna blow soon if he doesn't release some tire pressure Oh, I don't know. That seemed, seemed vaguely non-PG at least PG 13 okay uh, i don't know uh, DJ Optim has a great idea about spicing up the race. Put hot sauce in the drink bottles. Yeah, but don't tell them. Don't tell them beforehand. Only one driver gets the hot sauce. Our friend Stuart Neal is in with Alonzo. Does not need a seat fitting because he can just use the deck chair. Nice. Nice callback to that meme. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bongers. Monaco is a great party and Grosjean crashed it, which, yeah. Fair. Leave Grosjean alone. He's lovely. Um... I'm going to skip a couple. Um, a couple? Jeez. Down to Wish Waiter. Ten pound donations are spent on hair gel. It's, don't, I'm a little sensitive about the hair. I'm fully on. Like, I'm only doing this because of the stream. The rest of the time, I'm fully on, like, sports bands. I look like an, an aging Spanish footballer that's, like, turned up for charity events. And everyone's <laughs> like, oof, he's let go. Jeez. <laughs> And, I, and about four weeks ago, I got the wife to shave all of mine off, and it's only just starting to come back. So that was a uh, that was a really I, really long time. I will say it was that, very short. That was definitely a bold move. A, a, a bold move. A bold move. <laughs> Trumpets. Oh, it, it was it was when she was doing the back of my head, and um, she was and, and I could just hear her going, "Ooh, uh, oh, no. e, oh, for God's sake! I haven't looked at the back of my head since." Don't do it. Don't do it. Just grow it back. Just wait. Trumpets. We've got a, this. Is a whole segment. It's been. Completely it is crashed. a whole segment. I'm just making a thing of it at this point. I, I've given up. There were so many good things. I just cannot. I cannot judge that rapidly. Uh, but there's only three more. It's uh, Mark, Mark Greenow. No, no, no. Mark Greenow can't win because he's just put that's an Alice band. Richard. No, it is a sports band. I'm sticking with that. Can we time out him? Can we get him? Ban him from the thing. Go on. What's his you comment? Do what you want. Go on. But his comment was: pit stops can only be completed with the tools available in the boot of a standard Peugeot 206. Okay, come on, come on. 
Speechless. Okay, so reverse grid, sunflower oil, sprinklers, and Alonzo in all the cars. Okay. And my very last wish waiter, they should replace the current safety car with a McLaren 720S. Otherwise, may as well have a tea break and put the tires in the fridge. Who's your winner, Matt? I've said this before, but I'm starting to think that the racing is my least favorite part of F1. Mark Greenhow, you have won. Comment of the week. You insulted me. Fine, I guess you're the judge. Comment of the week. You laughed at it the most, man. What am I supposed to do? Curse you and your good judgment. I will see you, Matt, on Tuesday for the Remain Indoors podcast. Uh, do follow Chris. Do follow Alex Van Jean. Thank you very much to my panel. Uh, we've been Missed Apex Podcast. We're looking very much forward to some races, but we've still got a couple of off-season shows uh, as well. So hopefully uh, you can join us and uh, and we can give you some good content to bring you into the racing proper. I think the next time we're going to see you for Missed Apex is Sunday, but until then... Please remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. <laughs> Alex. Remember, I've just forgotten what I was going to say. No, do you know that why? It's face. because I did a radio show this morning and I used a yeah. different a, a tagline where I say work hard, yeah. be kind, have fun. And I, I, I just struggled switching between the two. My Sundays are too busy now. Uh, I do too much media on a on a Sunday. Don't complain about it. No, no, that's a good point. Yeah, no, please don't take that away from me. I, I'm, I'm delighted. Oh, I'm on yeah. too much radio. I haven't oh. worked since the 12th of March. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm going insane. Like the Lance Stroll of radio. I had, to, I had to get up for work this morning and like have a shave and put hard pants on. And like get in my car. And the, thing, and the thing is, I had to be at a certain place at a certain time. And then when I got there, I wasn't in charge and I couldn't do what I wanted. And it was like, oh, my God, this is such a such a departure. It was really weird. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.